This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. All right, so we are in Acts chapter 7, and we've been looking at Stephen, we've been looking at his, his message, and we gave that uh, very, we gave that brief uh, recount there, as we saw a moment ago, uh, Stephen giving them some history, talking about going all the way back to Abraham back in uh, verse uh, verses two of chapter seven, and he focuses on their their relationship with God. You remember, you think about, and I'm going to use an illustration that everybody does. But if you look at the Old Testament and look at the Israelites, we know their faithfulness, as one instructor told me when I was in school, that it's kind of like a roller coaster. They go up and they go down. But in my opinion, when they go down, it seems like many times when they go down, they go down further than they went the first time. And they stay a little bit longer before they finally come back up. Um, and that's why, at least in part, why Stephen says all the things he does here about uh, you know their faithfulness because he goes back and he, he's giving a history of obedience and disobedience in, in many ways and he talks about you know Moses ultimately coming onto the scene there in verse 20 how they rejected him uh, he was he rejected they rejected him and his, he rejected him and he had to flee to Egypt 40 years later he comes back to Egypt and brings God's people out in verse 36 and then the, the same Moses prophesied about the coming Messiah and was continually rejected in favor of idolatry, as we saw in 37-43. Again, this is Acts 7, part of Stephen's speech. And as we're recapping here, we are reminded why, why, they, why they respond the way that they do. Not that, not that it makes any sense, the way that they respond, but we do see how they respond. You know, and you, you think about what's taking place here. You ever talk to anyone, you don't have to speak up and give examples, but you ever talk to anyone about the Bible and it just doesn't, it's not received as, as you hoped, it, was, it wasn't received as well as you hoped it was going to be received. You know, when, I've done mission work, I haven't done a lot, but I've done mission work in different places and one of the things that the brother I was working with, uh, Stacy Ferguson, told me was you, you go into these studies hoping for the best, but ready for the worst. You, know, you don't know how people are going to respond, anger, or, or maybe push you out of the house or whatever. What am I responding to obedience? So you kind of you take that approach. But and so I think we all at some point, you know, it could be as simple as inviting someone to, to a Bible class or to a worship service, and the response. Maybe maybe it's no, maybe it's a little, more, a little bit more than no, or maybe it's it is you know. Uh, am I the only one who has someone say I'll see? Had someone tell you I'll see you on Sunday? Right. I, mean, I know preachers hear that. I know members hear that when they talk to someone. You know, if I've said it before, if everyone who's told me that we'll see you Sunday was actually here, we'd have everybody would be. We know where to sit. Um, so you get those kind of responses as well, but Stevens is one that is, needs to say, off the charts with as far as the response goes. And what's interesting is you look at Stephen being persecuted and ultimately being killed, 
And then what happens in chapter 8? What does chapter 8 begin talking about? Persecution gets greater, and then then they're scattered and preach the word. Right. A young young man, or maybe it doesn't call him a young man, but Saul, who was there at the time of Stephen stoning, is being begins to be discussed who is persecuting the church, right? I mean, Stephen is stoned for what he said. <laughs> for what he said. He's talking about suppression of freedom of speech. There's <laughs> there's a biblical example. Uh, but he is stoned for it. In Acts chapter eight with, with Saul, he is going into people's homes and dragging them out and taking them to prison. And so to say that they were under great distress and and in grave danger for speaking the truth is an understatement, isn't it? I mean, Stephen dies, Saul goes in people's houses and pulls them out, he goes and gets legal documentation to do so. I mean that's pretty intense and we might say hardcore, right? And goes in and pulls them out. Bible says even women and children, right? And brings them bound to Jerusalem, which we know on that road he meets he eventually meets Christ. But we find in chapter 6 and chapter 7 and, and in at least in part of chapter 8 a, a glimpse into the deep persecution that was going on. But what was also, we may mention this already, what was also going on at the same time of heavy persecution, what was also going on with the church? Growing. Persecution, but they were growing. Which, when you think about it, you think, that sounds crazy. People are dying, but it's growing. People are being dragged out and taken to prison and other places. The church is still growing. Now, we fast forward to today. The church becomes under heavy persecution or heavy pressure. Do we grow? Yeah. You might say it depends on, if you want to look at individual congregations, different places, maybe, being on what it means, like you said, preached and taught, and the response to it. Because Stephen preached and taught the truth, but the response was horrible. But today, we're, we face different pressures. We, pray, we do face some persecutions in some places in the U.S. We start to see that now with more. And it's not anything like what we see in Stephen's time. But the church, really today, when the church is persecuted, you don't see it grow. You see it either stand still or shrink. If you don't believe me, ask yourself how many people you haven't seen since 2020. Right? I mean, there, what you want, uh, you can say there's persecution, but it definitely was pressure. There's no doubt there was pressure. Close your doors, go home. I don't care how you feel about it. That was what we were told, right? Close your doors, go home, stay there. Pressure, churches shrink. And over the last year or so, if you start talking to people and you ask them how they're doing, how their congregation's doing, what do you hear about? Pre-COVID numbers. We never heard about that before. You never heard about pre-flu numbers before. Pre-allergy season. But pre-COVID, we hear about that. Because the pressure was really squeezed. And our response 
overall was go home, right? Now, I think to be fair, looking back, and that's all we can say is looking back, we probably, most of us would say, we say we would do things differently. But we have to ask ourselves, will we really do things differently? Because as a Christian, no matter what pressure or where it's coming from, shouldn't some things never change? So, in this context, like Acts 6, for example, there was a profit issue, right? The widows not being, you know, kind of being left out. But what you had there was. And like you said, people misuse that verse about, well, I'm all supposed to preach. But the point there is, they, what was happening is, if they didn't get help, the, you know, the apostles, it was going to prevent them from preaching and teaching the Word. It was that much of a, of a uh, time constraint, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But my point is that they, people stepped up and served at the appointment of it. In other words, you know, it wasn't just them. Mm-hmm. They, they, they said we got to have help, and people stepped up and did it. You know, Stephen being one of those. And then, um, you know, and as you look there, in there was another issue, if you will, or challenge, and that is, um, as like you pointed out, as, as Stephen was going on and doing what he was doing, and he was gaining more and more negative attention from the Jewish leaders. But he did what was right. He still did what was right, even under the pressure, like you're saying, when you think about somebody being under pressure, mm-hmm. Stephen was under a lot of pressure. <clears throat> or, you know, faced a very uh, threatening situation, or, you know, mm-hmm. out, in a sense, outnumbered, or, you know, however you want to look at that. That's a lot of things. That's a lot of something for somebody to face. But, Mike, I guess what I'm getting at is the Word of God has to be there being taught, in other words, that has to be our standard following, but we also have to be willing to serve and I'll say this to be quiet. The thing that where we've done a great service is we've adopted this the church, I'm saying the church, I'm not talking about the world. The church, we've adopted this mindset that we we hire the minister. And he is the minister. And he does all the ministry. And there isn't anybody else that doesn't ministry. I know not everybody has that opinion, but I'm saying there are people that do have that opinion. And that's the problem. And so that would take away from what you saw happen in Acts 6. They stepped up and served so that work could keep going and preaching could keep happening. Mm-hmm. And so that's on all of us, whether we're somebody that's in full bit or not, mm-hmm. we can step up, serve, and help and preach and teach however is appropriate for us to do so in our situations. And what's, what's interesting is we have examples of people under heavy pressure. I mean, throughout the Bible, right? I mean, Adam and Eve in the garden, I mean, there's not more pressure from anyone else than Eve and the serpent, right? I mean, you can't deny that wasn't pressure. But then you look at Daniel, this is the most common one we go to, Daniel the lion's den. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and then you go, we find other examples as well. Then we go in the New Testament, we find the same exact thing. You find Christ under pressure to you know, on one occasion, in the verse slips my mind, the apostles or the disciples would come up to Christ and tell him, do you not know that what you said, you know, offended him? And basically what Christ says is what? 
I mean, he doesn't say it quite like that. I'm paraphrasing. Is he just kept doing what he's doing? He didn't set out to hurt people's feelings, but that happens. And with Stephen, he definitely hurt people's feelings, but he still said it. You know, if you look at the end of Acts, or not Daniel, uh, Stephen, if you look what the end of chapter 6 says about, about his speech, and, and, or about his, his wisdom and their response, and then you get to chapter 7, um, where they are bringing out false witnesses to him, against him, right? Um, chapter 7, excuse me, no, chapter 6, rather. Um, verse 9 says, There arose from, from, um, from, there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the, of the freedmen, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist his, you know, his wisdom or his spirit. Verse 11, They secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak, and then they begin to talk about various ways in which they tried to attack him. You know, Stephen still, you know, that was before chapter 7. I mean, they were already attacking him, and in chapter 7, he just keeps going. They're, they're, they're accusing him of things that would be put, you know, if they're going to stone you. What does he do? Okay, it's time for a history lesson. That's pretty brave. And his, his history lesson is, you're unfaithful just like all those people back in the time of Abraham and Moses. You're not any different. You're not listening. Paul, can you let her in? Um, you're not listening, basically, right? And if we have her on the screen, we have her on our, on our screen there. In truth, God's people had a track record of not listening to or hearing, or not listening to or respecting Moses. And not just Moses, right? Abraham, Joshua, Aaron... You remember when, when Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments? Kind of a big deal. And people were down at the bottom of, of the mountain, and they're saying, well, he's taking a really long time, so let's make an idol. What were they doing? Not listening. Not remembering. And many historians will say that, or and scholars will say that, that Moses may have been on the mountain as long as 30 days. 30 days. That's not very long, is it? For them to say, let's make an idol. And that was really the, the point of Stephen's address in chapter 7 is, you're just like all these other guys. You're not listening. Now, keeping in mind, they, they have heard him, but there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? Or, you know, that's why we have those, those reading comprehension tests back in school. And when, you know, you, read, you have to read a paragraph or a page of a story and you have several questions afterwards, seeing how much you actually, you know, learn from that. Um, their comprehension was an F, wasn't it? They heard it, but they weren't willing, weren't willing to comprehend it, and you must even go, definitely not even go, go as far as uh, applying it. And so he gives this speech about, you know, reminds them of, of the history of unfaithfulness, and you can't help, I can't help thinking about men like going back to Daniel chapter 3. You want to go ahead and turn there because we'll come back to, to good old Stephen here in a moment. But Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To me, this is, there's a lot of great, I don't want to say stories, but accounts of men who just said, we're not going to back down no matter what. And I like Daniel 3 because it's three friends. It's three friends in Daniel 3 who are unwilling to bow down before 
the golden image. Now you may ask, well, what does this have to do with Stephen? Couldn't Stephen back up and say, you know what, you're right, I, I shouldn't have said all that. I was out of line. Let's all just get along. He could have, but he didn't, right? Now, if you look at Daniel 3, and it's the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up, and we're going to heavily paraphrase this. He sets up an image, and he basically tells them, when you hear the music, better bow down. And when they don't, they're called before him. Do you remember, let me find the phrase here, verse 16 of Daniel 3, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That's pretty brave. But they go ahead and answer him, right? We don't have to tell you anything. We don't tell you why we're doing this. We know why we're doing this. Because, well, why are they doing it? Because you're creating idolatrous worship and we're not bound to need. In verse 17, they, they say, if, this, if that is the case, referencing if we're going to die, you're going to this fiery furnace. If that is the case, our God whom we serve, notice they don't say we're, they don't even mention this golden image because they don't have anything to do with that. <clears throat> Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning, from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Do you remember one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar has said before that? He will deliver you from my hand, right? Ask an answer. God. And if, even if he chooses not to, he doesn't say that God is unable. If, if God chooses not to, you're still not the one we're bowing down to. Now, I say that to say this. They could have said, you know what? Yeah, we'll bow the knee. Who cares? It's just the image. But they didn't. What would have happened if those three friends bowed the knee? It would show submission to Nebuchadnezzar and to this idol which was created, or as the Bible says, set up. Never does, in reference to God, does the Bible ever talking about, ever refer to God as being created, but instead as the Creator, which implies God needs nothing from anyone. He is the Creator. He is where everything begins and where everything ends. What is it, Paul? Um, <clears throat> you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have perhaps decided that whenever all that music played and everybody else was supposed to be bowing, that, hey, we're going to all of a sudden touch our ankles because we need to fix our shoes. So we're gonna... I mean, I'm not bowing down to the image, but yeah. I all of a sudden got time. You know, I know they weren't wearing place shoes, but all of a sudden right. got time my shoes. Well, we can't make compromises mm-hmm. when we know that's what we're doing. Yeah. Like that. I think, you know, they would know they would be compromising, in other words, mm-hmm. to look like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, there's things they could have done to try to do the compromise, or I guess they could have tried to flee, but it doesn't seem like they had much time to even do that. And so there's opportunities for them to, to crumble and to, to disobey, right? And with Stephen, it's the same thing. Look at Stephen in chapter 7 when he, he begins this speech. I mean, he goes on and on for uh, 53 verses is where, you know, 54 is when we start seeing the response. 53 verses, he unloads a big history of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And then in verse 54, you have their response. But you notice after verse 54, as far as Stephen goes, nothing changes. 
He's already been blasphemed, or been accused of blasphemy, I should say. He's been accused of numerous other things. Now they're gnashing on him in verse 54. I don't think he foreknew their, their response, but I don't think he was shocked by it. My opinion. Verse 55, the Bible talks about here how he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God. This appears to be a, a vision of some type designed to encourage Stephen. And we see in verse 58, he says, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's repeating what he has seen. And of course, this is like throwing gas and already lit fire, right? There's like this. See, look, he's blaspheming. Verse 57, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Look what they did. They cried out, they stopped their ears and ran at him. Can you picture that for a second? What do kids do and throw a tantrum sometimes? Not that my child has ever done that ever. But what do kids do sometimes? When they, and we've all been either our child or we've been in that Walmart and we hear from across the store a kid losing their stuff and their parents trying to bring them in, right? And you look at verse 58, uh, verse uh, 50. Uh, yeah, verse 58, uh, verse 57 rather, you find a similar response with grown people. And just picture this, they, they, they yell at him, they stop their ears, you picture them covering it or literally sticking their fingers in their ears, and they run at him. These are supposed to be religious people, aren't they? You know, not only are they mad at Stephen, but and bad things happen, because they attacked Stephen. But could you imagine, I don't know the entire setting, but could you imagine if you were sitting afar off, having nothing to do with this, and you look over and you hear this guy speaking, and you see a group just freak out and storm after him and start stoning him? Because that's what they did. And you find that group are supposed to be religious people. See, that whole instance made everybody look bad. The obedient and and the rebellious, they all looked horrible. Stephen did nothing wrong, but it definitely made him look bad, and of course he would lose his life, but all those involved in that peaceful riot was looking bad as well, right? And so the whole church is thrown into looking terrible before everybody. And so you know, no doubt the price was paid by Stephen, but other faithful members, you think other people were questioned about that afterwards? You know, we saw or we heard about this man over here. What happened to that? Why did that take place? You know, sometimes people approach you and they want to know the truth and try to understand. Some people just want to gossip. Do you think the gossip will won't get turning? When that happened to Stephen, I'm sure it was going full force, wasn't it? And then we get in chapter 8, we see more persecution comes as well. But in chapter 7, they attack him. Verse 58 says they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, which we see in chapter 8. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
In verse 60 says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge him with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, people will debate for days about what does it mean he fell asleep. He dies. I mean, if you're stoned, you're most likely going to die. Paul was one exception in which they stoned him, thinking he was dead, and then he gets up and walks away. I'm sure if they knew he was alive, they would have kept throwing. But with Stephen, we find here in verse 60, by the phrase here, he clearly dies in this instance. Some would say, well, you fell asleep, you didn't feel anything. Stretching it. <laughs> he died. Okay? And that's all we have to know. And we find here in verse 58, they, now remember, it all really begins in verse 54, right? The response, they get mad, they gnash at him, they, they yell at him, they rush him, and he, they drag him out of the city in verse 58. And the witnesses lay down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Those who, witnesses, it's probably referring to those who are involved in stoning him. Those who witnessed the, the message of Stephen. You notice the witnesses were actually present. Here were people, people talking about, here's a little sidebar, talking about how they're going to go witness for the church. They were witnesses because they actually saw it. So when we talk about being a witness, you have to actually witness certain things, right? Anyway, uh, here in verse 58, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen. As he was calling, calling on God, so while he's saying these things, they're throwing these stones at him. Saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and him being a faithful servant to God, the Lord, he, would one day go, he will one day go to heaven. We know that. Verse 60, he knelt down, he cried out. You notice he says something very similar to what Christ says in verse 60. Remember Christ says, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, that's a very big understatement for, for, for what Christ said. You know, he, he, he says the same thing, but adds a little more to it, but they do not know what they do. You know, Saul, or excuse me, Stephen could say the same exact thing. They do not know what they do. That's not incorrect. But he simply says, do not charge them with this sin. Doesn't that show how much Stephen cares about them? Don't charge them with this. Because why? They're ignorant. <laughs> now, would God charge them with that sin? Yes. The only way to remove sin is repentance. Um, and we, but they're, they're, they're charging him. They, they, they stone him. And his last words is, don't, don't charge him with this sin. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died there in verse 60. Now, again, and we've already talked about this part. We want to look at what we can learn from this, the, the application of what we talked about this evening. Keeping in mind, we're talking about Stephen, who was a man who was full of the, full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. He was uh, full of wisdom. All those things you would expect from a faithful servant of God. He was chosen to help one of the seven to help with the distribution to those who were in need. And then he also was clearly evangelistic. So his work, his job as a Christian had multiple areas, right? And what I want us to consider this evening 
There are areas of work inside and outside the church for everyone. Assisting members, and when I say assisting, we're talking about praying for them. We're talking about all the various ways you can help people. Bring them food, take them to the doctor, whatever it may be. That's the inside part, right? And then the outside being the evangelism in various ways. And when we talk about the outside part, I think sometimes when we start talking about doing work for the church in evangelistic ways, we get a little timid, a little scared of doing that, don't we? Because it's not always easy to talk to people about the church or the Bible or related topics of that nature, right? Because people, that's not everybody's favorite subject, right? You know, I said all the time with the Bible podcast and things like that, if we wanted a million listeners, we'd start talking about sports or politics or whatever, not the Bible. But we have a specific topic. Well, when it comes to today, we're talking to people in person, over the phone, whatever it may be, the Bible still isn't everybody's favorite topic. You know what the saddest thing is? That can be said about Christians, too. That's not our favorite topic. It's sad that when we go to maybe a family gathering or whatever, and maybe the Bible gets brought up, maybe we're out with friends, and someone brings says something that's somewhat Bible-related, do we get uncomfortable? You know, if we know our Bible as much as we possibly can, as we read and study as we should, we should become more confident and less nervous and timid in those situations. Because when we know more about the Bible, the more we know about God, the more we can respond or add something to clarify something someone has said, whatever, in those types of situations that we don't have to be afraid about. You know, we shouldn't be afraid when we're talking to our family or friends for people to disagree with us. They don't have to agree with us in order for us to say something. If we say something and someone doesn't necessarily agree with us, it doesn't mean we should be quiet. Do you ever notice worldly people have no problem talking about worldly things? Why do Christians have problems talking about Bible things? You shouldn't. So, areas of work inside and outside of church, there are areas for everyone. And I'll be honest, I get really tired of hearing people say, I don't know, I can't, you know, I really can't do anything. Prove it. To be honest. I don't care what age you are, even what health you're in, because of the technology and the way the things we have around us today, most of us know how to use a telephone. We're talking about a cellular phone or a telephone, whatever. We know how to use it. The mail service still runs. And so when I hear people say, I, no, I, don't, I really can't do anything. What you mean to say is I really don't want to do anything, right? I mean, let's just be honest. If we don't do things, it's because we really don't want to. And when Stephen says what he does, it's because he wants to say it because he knows, even though he may pay dearly for it, and he did, he knew they needed to hear it. And even though we know people may not respond at, like we would hope they would or hope they will, it doesn't mean that things don't need to be said. Now, hear me carefully. I'm not saying we say things in a harsh way, or we say things because we, we think, oh, this really gets really get their goat, you know, so to speak. 
Well, that's not our purpose. We may say things thinking, you know, they may not like this, but have you ever thought about and tell them? We shouldn't be you know, nervous or timid when it comes to those around us. Uh, another application here is mistreatment because there are definitely going to be situations where we are mistreated. Uh, this is a danger both inside the church and outside the church. You remember how Acts 6 started? Complaining? People are supposed to be religious, and what are they doing? They're complaining, which reminds us, even in the church today, there are those who are going to, to complain about, pick a topic, you know? Anything and everything. And so, we have to be prepared for that. Then when we, when we start getting more involved in the church, there are going to be those who are going to complain about various things. Well, why don't you do this this way or do this this way? And we have to be prepared for that. Now this is part, as we have there on the screen, this is part of working for the Lord. And the third one here is, beware of your mindset. We must remember our goals as Christians. You know, we cannot expect everybody to obey and or to listen to us or to give us a few moments to talk about things. But we also cannot make we should not act or view, you know, those who don't want to listen as a failure on our part. Do you have any idea how many people did not listen to Christ? He never failed. They failed him in reality, right? He spoke and preached numerous times. In fact I believe it's uh, I believe it's John who talks about all the things that Christ said and did were recorded that all the books in the world cannot contain them. I mean, he did and said so much. And yet, a, you know, a large amount of people obeyed, but there's a larger amount who just didn't care. You remember when Christ fed the 4,000, the 5,000, and one, on one occasion, at least on one occasion, this recorded, he talks, he talks about some of them came just for the fish. You come for the food, you come for you know, the spiritual teaching. Um, we cannot expect the non-Christian to be without areas of concern. If we're honest, there are many Christians who still have areas that need attention. What I mean by that is we shouldn't be appalled when we're talking to non-Christians when we see how they live. I mean, we, it may be something that when we're talking to someone and as we learn more about them, we, we may think to ourselves, oh, I didn't know that. But we shouldn't be that, allow that to be something that pushes us away and we definitely cannot allow it to make us feel like we're on a pedestal above them. Because if you're talking down to people, you'll eventually find there's nobody else there after a while. You'll be talking to yourself. No one wants to be talked down to. And so when we talk to non-Christians, we have to realize they're just that. They're non-Christians. They're living in non-Christian ways. They're acting and speaking in non-Christian ways. And we have to be aware of that. And we have to remember that we too, even as Christians, may have areas in which we need to improve in our life. You know, you think about the world and how the world, how a large amount of them view the church. They say the church is filled with, filled with what? Hypocrites, right? Everybody thinks they're perfect, but thinks they're perfect, but they're really not. Well, and are they wrong? It depends if we're the hypocrite or not. You know, and I try to say this when I talk to people sometimes when they start talking about, well, you know, I can't be, I'm not perfect. I, you know, when I fix things in my life and I'll come to God, you come to God, you fix those things. You don't fix those things before you come to God. And so, 
when, I, when we talk about, when we hear people talking about, you know, hypocrites in the church, are there some? Yes. But we as individuals should strive to not be one of those. We can say things of a similar nature such as, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be what God requires me to be as we find it in the Bible. That's hard to argue with. Now, people may not like it. What we're saying is, I'm not perfect, but I want to do what God requires. I want to follow Him. And that's what everyone should be doing. We're not perfect, but the Christian can be blameless, as Job was, because Job was blameless because if he made a mistake, he corrected himself. David, in a similar way, was not perfect, but he was still a man after God's own heart. And so there's numerous examples of, of that as well. But we have to be careful when we think about our mindset and remember, what is our ultimate goal? Do one... Are you going to say something? Sorry. One is to get ourselves to heaven, right? And two is to get anyone else we can to come with us. And many times we... In my opinion, it's best to start at home when your children are able to understand those things. And if they're not, we, when it comes time, we make our, our focus at home and then we branch out. But if our children are too young for that, we reach the world around us. But as the children grow up, we bring the focus home. And then we teach them and we help them understand what God requires, help them to see the need to, to obey, and then we branch out. Because it would be sad to say the world while your home is going down the wrong path, wouldn't it? All right. <clears throat> Closing comments or questions this evening. All right. We gonna say something? Yeah. Um, just a quick thought on Stephen's sermon. You know, there's a portion of that sermon that those people, high priests included, and the people that come to him, that they would have approved that they would approve it. And so I have to ask myself the question: Do I listen to the Bible like that? Do I listen to God's word like that? In other words, I'm okay when I agree with it. Yeah. At a point or another, he started saying stuff they didn't like. But there's some of what he said that would have been like, yeah, that's, that's right. So where do I, how do I draw that line? Do I let the Bible be the truth? Or do I say, well, I like that, but I don't like that. So I'm going to reject Yeah, everybody would say, we love the part about love God by your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we don't like the part about doing to others as you, had, as you would have them doing to you. <laughs> and so there's definitely parts, like you said, things they might agree with and things they wouldn't. And like, definitely, we don't want to approach the Bible that way. You know, it's not pick and choose. It's, you know, well, in reference to the old law, like the Apostle Paul said, you, you keep the old, if you keep one part of it, you're under oath, you know, you're bound to keep all of it. As Christians, we're bound to keep all the New Testament law. Not just one part, but all of it. All right, we're going to be uh, done for this evening because I know the kids will be back in.